0: What's going on, guys? My name is David Gibbs, I am the host and founder of this podcast, SIDCast, a podcasting resource dedicated to telling you stories and sharing the experiences of the sports information and athletic communications profession. That takes about 11 seconds to go through. That's not that bad. We might try and condense that a little bit, but um, I, I usually like to draw things out. I'm a little wordy like that, but uh, today we have a fun one. I, I had a lot of fun talking to Blake Tim uh, from the Great Northwest Athletic Conference about his time Um We've actually had a lot of people, either one, graduate from Pacific like Tim himself uh, and Chelsea Chamberlain or two, work there, like Danny Campbell. Uh, Those Danny's episode coming up on a year ago. So um, you can go back and listen to any of those episodes by doing sidcast.fireside.fm slash whatever number you're looking for, um, such as today is 89. If you want just a random one, just type in any random number you want between 1 and 89. And uh, you'll be able to find it on there. Um, But anyway, we talked a lot about something that I find important and I feel in a sort of a way passionate about um, for this profession. The exercising, the work-life balance, the de-stressing is something that uh, everybody needs to practice, everybody needs to do. And what Blake and I will talk about today as we sort of had a roundtable discussion is about... Uh, finding the time, uh, balancing all that, uh, having goals, planning uh, your workouts and things like that, um, maybe even some mentality stuff. And the example that you're setting to your student-athletes and to your staff and to your family uh, when you go into the gym or when you go out for a run every day, uh, we, we talk about all that, how it's important and how when somebody says uh, you can't be an SID and have a family life, how that quote is absolute BS. But uh, before we get into all of that today, guys, I want to turn your attention to rating and reviewing. If you want to go ahead and go over to iTunes, leave me say rating and reviewing, or wherever you find your podcast on uh, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, Spotify. Uh, you can find us just about anywhere, uh, except SoundCloud. We're off of SoundCloud now. So uh, and go over there. And also, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. Uh, we're creeping up on year number two for us, and what we will be starting to do will involve the newsletter subscribers specifically. Uh, Those newsletter subscribers will get a special privilege, such as, I don't know, maybe voting for something. I don't know. What what could we be voting for? I don't know. Actually, I do not know. I'm just not going to tell you. Um, So the way you do that is go to s-i-d-c-a-s-t dot fireside, f-i-r-e-s-i-d-e dot f-m slash newsletter, and you'll be able to sign up. And then once uh, the two-year date rolls around, those newsletter subscribers will be able to get um, into what we will have planned. And, and the rest of you will kind of have to be at the mercy of the newsletter subscribers. So if, you, if you're um, comfortable with that, then don't sign up. But if you do want to get this episode first, you want to get a nice little InDesign document that I designed every Thursday morning in your inbox, uh, you can do that there. So, but, um, yeah, not, not a whole... Lot going on there. I don't really have anything else to talk about. Oh, actually, I do. Um, I thought this was funny. I think you guys might find it funny. Uh, for those who've been sticking around the show for quite some time and, and have gotten to know me, uh, I actually volunteered to do some voice acting. Uh, there's a company in Cincinnati that does like escape rooms for for uh goes around to different businesses, um, and and they needed some sort of documentary type of thing to explain a situation. And I did a little part in it uh which was really interesting uh out of context it was really funny um i, I enjoyed it <laughs> i had four lines but uh, nonetheless i, I kind of reached out of my comfort zone there and i was kind of proud of myself for volunteering to do something like that because i never ever saw myself doing anything like that before but uh yeah it, it was definitely fun um and k- now kind of getting back to, to what we were talking about here uh facebook and twitter you can follow us anytime at sports on both of those platforms um, just like I mentioned, our website, you, you've already heard it, and reviewing newsletter. I think I've checked everything off. so let's get into today with episode number 89 of SID Castle, Blake Tim of the Great Northwest Athletic Conference and why he chose Pacific in the first place for his undergrad right here on SID Castle.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting, Uh, when I was in high school, I I was a pretty good cross-country and track athlete, and I wanted to run cross-country and track in college, and I looked at a few different public schools down in southern Oregon, um, where I'm from, yeah, I even thought about the University of Oregon, knowing that there was, you know, with my talent, no way in heck that I could actually qualify to be a a cross-country and track duck. And uh, I developed a pretty good relationship with our high school uh, athletic director, who actually gave me some opportunities and set the base for my sports information career. And he said, you know, you should apply to at least one private college, and I've got the perfect one for you to apply to. And it, it happened to be Pacific, because his uh, son had played uh, basketball Pacific and was mm. just finishing up his uh, college career, so... I filled out the application, sent it in. Um, as it happened, we had a family trip up to the Portland area um, later in the spring, and I got a chance to visit Pacific, and you know, really fell in love with it. And you know, met the cross country and track coaches, and uh, they were they were great to work with. And then, so it came down between either going to Pacific university or Southern Oregon university down in Ashland. And really it was the cross country and track coaches who put me over the top. And, um, I'm a guy with two first names, uh, Blake Tim. And, uh, I've gotten used to the fact that people call me Tim sometimes and they just, you know, they, they blank on it or, or they forget. And so it doesn't bug me as much, but when you're, when you're a 17 year old kid, you want people to get your name, right. Right. And, uh, the, uh, Cross-country and track coach at Southern Oregon could never get my game right, and the coach, uh, Scott Ball of Pacific University, always did. So, you know, that kind of threw me over the top. I ended up at Pacific as an undergrad, and uh, yeah, outside of one year right after college, I I never left uh, the Portland area.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Uh, so how would you describe your career? I was a former cross-country track athlete in college myself.
1: I... I think I peaked in high school. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I, I was a you know, a nine I was a nine oh eight three thousand runner uh, in in high school. But you know once I got to college, you, you know you, you get that pull, especially uh, when you're at a small school like uh, Pacific, where you get so many opportunities to do different things. So I wasn't that straight focused on cross country and track type mm-hmm. of kid, and. Yeah, I, I think you could safely say I probably didn't live up to my potential in college, but um, I wouldn't trade anything I did uh, through my college career for, for anything. And you know, probably what probably what the best thing that came out of it for cross country and track was just a lifelong love for running. So, uh, so if anything, it, it, it's again, you know, running cross country and track in college set a lot of the base for what my uh, what my future life has been.
0: You're, you mentioned that your uh, high school ID gave you some opportunities that set the foundation of your sports information career. What were those opportunities?
1: Well, um, Barry Gatula it was uh, the athletic director's name, and, and he also happened to be the uh, the boys' basketball coach, varsity coach. Okay. And I had a freshman English class that he taught. It happened to be the only class that he taught, and then the rest of the day he was spent doing his athletic director duties, and he needed a, he needed a manager for the... For the basketball team, and I'd written a, something in the English class about how much I enjoyed sports, and the, at the time, I was a big basketball fan, especially the NBA. And so, he asked me to uh, be the manager for the for the boy varsity boys basketball team, and which which was great for me because I, I had played uh, basketball in junior high, but quickly figured out that there was no future market for a five foot six power forward. <laughs> so. So I, I got to be the team manager and, uh, I got to work out with the team and do some stuff. And, uh, I, I had done such a great job that uh, the coach actually ended up putting me in a game in the, in the late waiting minutes of the fourth quarter, uh, towards the end of, uh, that year being the, the manager. But the other thing he also did was, um, uh, I love doing public address work and have for a long time. And he, and yeah, I, I, I kind of badgered him into giving me a chance to do some public address. So he let me do uh, you know, freshman basketball games, the occasional JV game. And by the time I got to my senior year, I was uh, filling in for the uh, uh, announcer for the varsity game is when he couldn't do them. So he was, he was the start of um, giving me, you know, some of the opportunities that eventually built into a a sports information career. Um, The other thing that, he, he was actually the one who first told me about this sports information director position. He had uh, uh, again we were we were meeting his in his office during my senior year, and he said, "Man, you, you know you you'd be a good sports information director." I'm looking at him like a what? You know you know who, you know who hears about being an SID when they're in high school? Huh. But uh, you know as it, as it ended up it be it ended up being a, a prophetic uh, prediction on his part because. You know, five years later, that was exactly what I was doing uh, when I took the job at Pacific.
0: So what exactly was your very first taste of sports information at Pacific?
1: My very first taste was working with the, uh, the SIDs both as um, a public address announcer because in addition to running cross-country and track, I ended up uh, doing the PA for uh, volleyball and uh, basketball. Uh, throughout my my four years as a student and then uh, working with the student newspaper Uh, I was the sports editor for three years and um, because of the fact that I was an athlete and had a work-study job doing the public address that gave me a chance to interact with uh the SID on a regular basis. Uh, my first two years there was a gentleman by the name of Bob Kickner who went on to become an athletic director in the junior college ranks, and then uh, the two years after that, uh, a guy by the name of Ron Rowland. So, uh, you know, had a chance to work with them and really got an idea about what uh, what the job was all about. But you know, even despite that, when you know when I graduated, sports information wasn't really a thought. I was still uh, set on being either a, a TV newscaster or sportscaster or getting into radio, doing a radio news and a radio play-by-play, which is mm. uh, what I ended up doing for my first year right out of college.
0: How did you balance being an athlete while uh, doing that sports information work?
1: It, there, it really wasn't hard at all. Okay. Um, you know, with with the fact that I was doing PA for evening sports, there wasn't much conflict in terms of... Uh, uh, missing a game because i was off uh running a cross-country meet or taking part in a track meet so it really yeah you know, there really wasn't much of an issue there cross you know cross-country meets were saturday during the day and um and so we so there, there was no no conflict it was easy to get out, get out of the van get back to the to the dorm change change clothes uh, get a shower and then uh make sure i was back in time for back down to the gym for a seven o'clock volleyball match
0: Oh, okay that uh radio gig that you had straight out of college uh who'd you cover what'd you do
1: i was the news and sports director for a radio station out in la Grande, oregon so uh that's uh, where eastern oregon university's at right so i was the news and sports guy so i was uh doing morning radio uh, where i learned to start drinking coffee because you do if you got to be at work at five in the morning <laughs> uh, and then you know and then do the morning shift, record newscasts for the afternoon, and then uh, uh, I would be off mainly covering uh, Baker High School uh, football and basketball and doing their play-by-play. So, uh, did that for a year. Uh, one of the one of the additional duties on that was uh, the uh, Oregon School Activity Association has their uh, smallest classification basketball tournament, so their one A and two A high school basketball tournaments out in. Baker City, which is uh, 45 minutes south of Le Grand. So I got to uh, be the pool play-by-play announcer for that tournament, which meant I uh, did play-by-play for uh, 14 games in six days. A lot of work, uh, especially when you're trying to research these little high schools where there's not too much information out there, especially Uh at the start of the Internet era. This is 1999. But it, it was a ton of fun. I had a great time doing it.
0: Yeah, I, I know the struggle all too well. Of trying to find those little bits and pieces of information on those small schools. I, I remember one time, I, I was—it's a school here called Bossy, and I could not find a basketball roster to save my life anywhere. And as soon as I called the athletic department, they go, You well, you go on our website and the roster's right there and I was like, No, it's not. And as soon as I and as soon as I pulled it up, there it was, and she had put it up that morning. And I, man, do I feel stupid calling, but um, so yeah, so why did you why did you get out of it? I mean, were you looking to get back into sports information or what was going on with life at that time?
1: I might be one of the few people in this profession who probably got into it because he wanted to be closer to a girl to be perfectly honest okay so my my longtime girlfriend and now my wife melissa she was uh living and teaching in the uh in, in back in forest grove and so and i i quickly figured out that that me and the city of lagrand just weren't a great match um so so i would by by late you know, already within six months of being at the radio station in Lagrande, I was looking to maybe find something else and get back towards the Portland area. So I, I'd cast a net looking for some radio jobs, and um, uh, come along January, the uh, sports information director at Pacific, who had been a uh, he had been a newspaper editor, and I think he had hadn't quite realized what he was uh, he, what, what he was getting into
0: uh-huh.
1: uh, as far as being an SID. He up and left. So suddenly there was a, an SID opening that was going to be available. And, um, uh, a friend of mine by the name of Rich Burke, who, uh, we'd worked together doing, uh, uh, basketball play-by-play, uh, for Pacific during my junior and senior years. He contacted me and he said, you, you should apply for this. You'd be great. And of course I was looking for an opportunity to come back. And the, and the more I looked into what the job description entailed, uh, the more it seemed attractive to me because it allowed me to use all these different school skills I'd picked up over the years, whether it was, you know, broadcasting or public address or writing design. Um, it all seemed to come together into one package. So I, so I applied and it, it helped that I was an alum. It helped that I was uh, familiar with the, uh, with the AD and our associate AD who were basically the hiring committee. And, uh, you know, right around June, they called me and uh, offered me the job, and it, it started a, a pretty nice 16 year uh, run at Pacific.
0: You mentioned some of the skills that you took from your past experience with radio and your undergrad and everything, but what were some things that you had to learn, maybe some new skills, or maybe some things you didn't expect during that first year at Pacific?
1: Uh, the stat stuff. So, you know, I'd I never used stat crew, and back then they didn't have stat crew for soccer. So the challenge was how can we. Put together some soccer stats without having to, you know, reinvent the wheel on absolutely everything. So the stat stuff was uh, probably the big thing. But you know, the great part about that is stats can be learned. Software like Stat Crew, and as I'm sure we're all going to find out over the next few months, Genius Sports and the NCAA Live Stats, all that can be learned. Um, So that was the biggest thing. And then just just getting used to managing people. I hadn't really managed a large group of people, uh, you know, and and of course I was just a a year out of college at that point. But, Mm -hmm. you know, suddenly I was managing uh, and overseeing a group of 10 to 12 work study students, and they were the ones there that were helping run the show. They were keeping the stats and running the scoreboard, keeping the uh, game clocks. So it was a challenge to, uh, develop a program to train all of them and get them ready for uh, the game day experience uh, because you know they're the ones that are making the whole thing run. Um, but you know we got through that and uh, and it ended up being a pretty good first year.
0: So what does it mean for you? We've asked we've asked some guests this question before, but what does it mean for you to come back and work for your alumni for your alumni school at that time?
1: There's something very special about being able to work at your alma mater. And whether, you know, whether it's athletics or whether it's in a, another part of campus, if you're a faculty member, there's something really cool about being able to come back and, and make, make a difference uh, in your role at the university. So, you know, to come back to Pacific, first of all, it was familiar. So that helped uh, lessen the learning curve in terms of the campus atmosphere and in terms of just kind of knowing how things worked. Mm-hmm. So that helped, but the, the more I was at Pacific, the more special it was just because I knew that I was making a difference with the athletic program that I contributed to as a student athlete in the past, and that felt really nice. And then to be able to take those opportunities that I received when I was a student and be able to give those to other uh, people, whether they were my student interns or uh down the road someone like a Chelsea Chamberlain who uh, started her career as a assistant siD for me mm-hmm. uh, you know to be able to do that um, and to be able to do it for people at your alma mater was was a really special thing
0: yeah awesome uh, let's talk a minute and I've never asked anybody this question before but as a former student athlete yourself um, how do you you know, kind of mentor or talk to student athletes that you talk to now or you've talked to in the past about balancing being an athlete while also trying to forward advance build their career for the future.
1: I think that's the sixty four thousand dollar question for anyone who says <laughs> a student athlete because you know if you want and it's different at d one than it is at d two d three in a i because when you when you're at d one you you know you're really there because you're an athlete and you're recruited because you're an athlete and that's your number one priority. When you're division two, II, division three, NAIA, it is, it is, um, you are, you know, you are doing something where you, you happen to be good enough to participate in the sport, but you still have an educational piece that you, that you need to be involved with. You're there to get the education. So, I uh, the whole thing is, a is, you know, it's a challenging balance. So, mm-hmm. um, what I tell student athletes when we talk about work life balance or school life balance in this uh-huh. case is just be clear about setting your priorities and knowing what the most important things are. First thing should always be your class load, your student first. So you need to make sure that the, op- that you have all your classes in line. And then probably after that is your sport, because, you know, if you're, if you're division two, which is where I'm at now, uh, there's a likelihood that you're getting a scholarship to be able to play, so you do need to put some, you know, some priority on your, uh, on, on your athletics, and and then after that, it's just a matter of uh, deciding what's important. Knowing you can't put everything into 24 hours a day, and so you've got to prioritize what's most important.
0: Yeah, but uh, before we get to some of that work-life balance stuff, um, so you love Pacific, you you love Forest Grove, uh, GNAC came open. Uh, why'd you take it? I mean, what were, what was life like at that time? Kind of same phrasing a question as earlier.
1: Well, by that time, we when I started Pacific, we had sixteen sports and we had no football. Uh-huh. Uh, 16 years later, we had 24 varsity programs, including football, and we also had, were uh, getting ready to expand our JV program to uh, eight sports. And there was uh-huh. an expectation that the Sports Information Office would provide support in terms of staffing for those JV programs. And, you know, I, you know, wife was uh, very understanding and uh, very supportive, but I also had two kids too. And, uh, at the time my daughters were, uh, 10 and seven. And honestly, I want, I wanted to be in a situation where I wasn't having to be, uh, in the office every weekend, working events and working on site two to three nights a week, doing, uh, either game recaps or staffing events. So, uh, started looking at my options, looked at a lot of jobs that were actually outside the profession. And the job with the GNAC came open. And its conference office, uh, I'd always admired how uh, Dave Hagelin, the commissioner of the conference, had uh, raised the stature of, uh, of, of the conference and the work that he had done, not only here at the GNAC, but uh, prior when he was commissioner of the uh, Cascade Collegiate Conference. Mm-hmm. And you know, so I put my name in one thing led to another and uh, I end up at the GNAC and um, I, I can't recommend conference uh, office life enough for an SID it's uh, it's great to be able to, uh, to have those evenings back and be able to uh, have time with family but at the same time still be connected to college athletics and work with those events and those student athletes and at the same time being a you know, really it's a support position because, yes, I'm here to publicize the GNAC and uh, put it out first and foremost in front of the uh, media in, our, in the five states and one Canadian province that we're in. But ultimately I'm here to support the, um, the uh, 11 SI sports information offices that are in the GNAC uh, mm-hmm. institutional schools. And there, there's something nice about being able to put together the tools that they need to help them succeed as SIDs.
0: One more that I promise we'll move on. Um, I see a lot, it seems lately, a lot of people posting on the Facebook groups that maybe they're starting a new sport. Um, they don't know how to cover it, what a release look like, but you did it like you mentioned. Your, your, the Pacific Athletic Department expanded quite a bit, including with football. So okay. what was that whole process like? How did you publicize it? Um, spare no detail.
1: So, you know, j- just using football as the case study, uh, obviously that's a big deal, whether you're D D1 or D D3 when you're bringing a program like football back, and uh, we-, we had had it on the radar for a couple years, and we knew that the trustees were, were looking at it at Pacific, so we, we were prepared with the release that, um, so when the trustees approved the program uh, in May of 2009, they we had a release ready to go and okay. we worked very carefully with our off with our uh, marketing communications office at Pacific. Uh, I felt fortunate that uh, I had a very good relationship with our associate vice president for marketing communications. So we were able to work together on a release and then um, really because we announced in tw- 2009 and didn't start play until 2010, we had a year to prepare. And that was so valuable. Uh, so initially, when we put the release out, we knew we were going to have some, uh, some publicity that we were going to do. Um, you know, obviously, we put out the release. We made our AD available to the TV stations in Portland to talk about a program bringing football back because – You know, Even these days, it's still pretty unusual to see a college bringing back football Uh as opposed to uh, discontinuing a program. So we made sure that he had his talking points and he was available. We had some props made up. Um, I was able to get a hold of a helmet from Colorado College who had discontinued the program the same year that we announced we were bringing theirs back. We were able to doctor it up with a uh, Pacific logo on the side of it and use it as a prop. And then, um, when we announced our head coach, we use that as an opportunity to do something a little different. We actually held a press conference, which, um, you know, in, in 2009, uh, division three schools in a major media market like Portland, were not doing press conferences to announce, uh, the hiring of head coaches, but we did it. We had some great media response. Uh, we had a couple of TV stations attend the press conference. We got the video to a couple others and they used it. And then, And then as far as, uh, you know, that lead up goes to the first game, it was just a matter of learning what I could about what would work best for us as specific and what other, you know, what what other schools had done to uh, that worked well for them that we could uh, that we could integrate. So uh, I had actually surveyed a number of Division three schools. Uh, all the football schools that were in the Northwest Conference at the time, uh, some schools that had SIDs who I really, um, really trusted and uh, valued their opinion. Uh, people like Eric McDowell, who was at Union College at the time, uh, Larry Happel at Central, uh, Dave Rath at Augustana, uh, and a couple of local uh, people, in particular, uh, Paul Madison, who was the uh, SID at uh, Western Washington at the time and just got their ideas on how should we do things. Do you print a media guide? What do your game programs look look like? Uh, how, how does your staffing work? And then and then we just integrated from there, Work with our, our coach on coming up with a plan for doing a media guide. We did do a media guide, print a media guide for my first four years that we were there, uh, a game program. How could we help him in terms of uh, recruiting? Um, and, then, and then it was a matter of, Figuring out our game staffing when it came to game day, and figuring out okay, what do we, what do we need to do on a game day to make this all successful? What should my work study staff look like? How many people do we need to adequately uh, staff a game? And you know, learn things about you know having an offensive and defensive defensive spotter for staff crew, having somebody who's just tracking participation because in Division three, if you don't have double numbers, uh, you have a small program, yeah. so. You know, things like that, lining up a PA announcer, because I knew it wasn't going to be me With uh, as busy as I was going to be on a game day. Um, part of the plan included adding an assistant for me. Uh, so what was that person going to be doing during a game day? Uh, 2010, social media. What's our social media plan? How are we going to cover game days? How are we going to cover the lead-up? So, yeah, you know, a lot, a lot of lead up was just question asking and developing a plan of how we were going to do things once we got the game day. And once September 17th, 2010 rolled around, we hosted, uh, Claremont Mud scripts for our first home game. Everything seemed to fall into place. It wasn't without its hiccups because you know, you're you're going to have hiccups anytime you start something new and especially something as big as football. But, you know, everything came to get together and, uh, you know, when you're putting on the vent, if, if the people on the outside don't notice that anything's wrong, then you probably were successful. And uh, we certainly felt like we were a success that day.
0: Switching gears here a little bit, you and I talked off air uh, about work-life balance. Uh, you don't have to convince me, but explain to people who are maybe listening to the show uh, why that they can have a work-life balance and be an SID at the same time.
1: I think whatever you do, whether whether it's sports information, whether it's being an attorney, um, you know, wh- whatever profession you you decide to go into, work-life balance is such an important thing. And I, I think the issue that we run into in sports information work is twofold. One is we're in sports information because we're passionate about sports. And we're passionate about collegiate sports. So... A lot of times, it doesn't feel like work. We're having fun doing it, um, and, and the other part of that is I think we we still have an issue with um, sports information sports information offices having more duties put on top of them, with uh, all the changes we've had in technology over the past uh, twenty years, and and other things not necessarily being taken off the plate. Um, some of that we're seeing with, um, you know, with media guides, those are disappearing, but there's still a lot of demand for printed materials, writing things on websites. Uh, even if you've gone to a, a, a short AP style release on your sports or a bullet point release. Um, but you know, I, I think it's all about setting priorities and, and taking the time. So, um, but I, I, I think we're, You can be an SID and have a work-life balance, and it's a matter of setting priorities. Um, It's a matter of understanding that even though you are passionate about college athletics, passionate about your institution and love sports, that taking time away from sports, taking time away from the job and from college and getting away is that recharge that your body needs, and it's no different than... Any other profession, a doctor doesn't go home and spend and read medical journals uh, for enjoyment. They yeah. do it to study up on what they're going to do. But as SIDs, we go home and we read up. We read Sports Illustrated, or we get on the Athletic, or we're following our teams. Um, but there's something to be said about disconnecting and and letting yourself have a break from sports and doing something that uh, you enjoy. That this disconnects you from the job and i think that's where a lot of uh, a lot of us miss is we're not we love sports so much that it is immediately going from covering our team to seeing how the mariners did last night or seeing how your fantasy football team's doing but uh, to me that that was a first step for me for creating work-life balance is putting that space in there between sports and life
0: yeah yeah absolutely so what about an active lifestyle you're a runner uh i still run kind of briefly when i'm not gassed after four miles um <laughs> i do a little weightlifting. so how do you kind of organize your day a little bit maybe to squeeze in that run here or there uh you do you talk about what you do then i'll talk about what i do
1: i my lunch hour is my run yeah it's been that way for many many years so eleven thirty rolls around I finish up uh, the project I'm doing or get to a stopping point. I go and change, and I get out for a run. So, you know, anywhere from, you know, whatever time allows, three to six miles or depending on how my body feels, get out there. It's, It's a great natural break for the day, not only to get out and get the physical activity, but also just that brain break where I'm able to get outside and disconnect from the office Think about what's happened during the day. Think about other things I need to do. Maybe let my mind wander a little bit. And by the time I get back to the office, I'm I'm feeling a bit recharged and ready to go. So I'll sit at my desk after I run and uh, eat lunch while I'm reading up on something or getting started on another project. But I try to keep that you know, 11.30 to 12.30 time slot um, planned out for that's when I go out and run. That's when I get out and uh, and get my exercise in if i've got something that's going to keep me from running during that lunch hour or i know i'm going to be going to lunch with somebody as opposed to taking that workout time i'll find a time to either get up earlier in the morning and go run or i'll take time in the evening uh, after the kids are in bed and get out for for a few miles so you know it's you have to build your time you have to be intentional about building your time in, and I think I've done a good job of trying to be intentional about uh, getting out and and getting a run in. I need to do some other things. I could definitely use getting into the weight room and <laughs> – lifting some weights, or I do, my wife and I have talked about, you know, getting back on a program and doing some core strength, because, you know, that just helps your entire body, and, and times I've done it, it's it's helped me run faster, but uh, hopefully once we get the kids in school and get back into a regular schedule, we can build some of that in. Yeah,
0: and that, that's kind of, I'm going to echo what you said about uh, uh, doing it in the morning, uh, I, I get up about 7.30 every day, I'm mm-hmm. in the gym by 8, and I'm out of there by 9, because my workout's don't take more than an hour and i'm usually done by 9 30 it feels great because yeah. the rest of the day you're ju- you free up that time and like you said now you can spend it with your family you could spend it doing some work you can spend it watching uh the game or doing any other projects that you have but uh there are also some great piece of advice that you said uh you need to listen to your body i think yes. is, is is number one that people don't really do uh i know that there are a lot of former student athletes that listen to the show uh i'm one of them that I go I went to the Division two cross country championships last year, and those guys were running a 10k and I was like man, I used to be able to do a 10k in my sleep and yeah. you know like I just mentioned now I go out and I try to do four miles and I'm gassed. Um, but yeah, the being careful, carving out time, um, take it slow and have a goal. Uh, don't just go into the weight room blind you know just yeah. say I'm gonna do whatever you need to have a plan so um, yeah, and,
1: and another thing I'll add in there, David is. We, we work in facilities where all of this is available to us, and right. it's mostly available for free. And um, so it's there to be taken advantage of. And, um, and the other thing that we need to do as... Sports information professionals, especially knowing how many hours we do work over the course of a week is the idea, you know, I, I used to have the idea sometimes that if I went into the uh, weight room and I kind of, and I was using the elliptical or lifting weights or getting on the treadmill that I'd have a coach coming in and, uh, you know, wondering why I wasn't, why I was working out and wasn't spending time working on his or her program or getting this media guide or video done mm-hmm. and, it took a while, but I finally came to realization that in all the years I had done that, there hadn't been a single coach who had done that to me. And it even got to the point where if I wasn't either out running or I wasn't in the weight room during that time, my AD would kind of get this look, look on his face. Like, "Um, why are you here? Shouldn't you be running now? Shouldn't you be out doing what you need to do? So we need to get over the mindset that, um, we need to carve it out necessary and and you know do it in the evening or even in the morning. I, you know, I think most ads are going to be pretty sympathetic to carving out time during the middle of the day to get a bit of a workout in, especially considering how many hours either you know, especially the late nights and the weekends that we all work.
0: Yeah, and I'm a, like again, I'm just going to echo what you said. There is nobody's watching you. Nobody's making fun right. of you unless if you're you know, doing something completely odd. Um, But I used to think that when I first started, I've been working out consistently three days a week. I'm moving to five days a week now since January. When I went down to those racks on the lower level where the free weights are, I thought that every, you know, muscle head and anything was going to just laugh at me when I was back squatting. Mm -hmm. 150 pounds at the time and now I'm up to 295 but I I quickly realized that nobody's watching you because when you're working out how much are you paying attention to other people and that's the same way and I used to be self-conscious about um, doing play-by-play for baseball in a press box because uh, people could hear me and I thought you know they might be saying something about me or anything and those are those uh, cognitive conclusions uh, negatively that are really sort of preventing people from doing that.
1: And when we and when people do notice, if we're in there, we're setting the example because who who else is going to be in the facility? Other student athletes. Mm-hmm. So and and they're 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 not going to be the ones. They're, they're not going to be over going. Oh, <coughs> you know, you know, look at Blake. He can't lift uh, lift fifteen pounds uh, on the on the free weights. There, you know, they're going to smile and wave because they see you in there, and it could even develop. A little bit better connection with student athletes because they look, they see you working out, and they, they something might click. Saying, "Yeah, they, they, understand a bit. They're, they're in here with me too." So, you know, maybe, maybe the SID's not a, you know, not a former student athlete or they're not a, uh, the caliber of athlete that's going to get out there and mix it up on the soccer field with the varsity. But they, they're in there working out, so they, they yeah, he, he gets it a little bit. It's cool to see him in the room.
0: Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And I'll add one more thing before we got to move on here to um, push it up against time. But uh, several resources, uh, literature, and I just please, please, please research before you go lifting something or research before you go trying to run, you know, X number of miles and you've never even ran. Just find a plan. Find a plan and and don't follow every plan that you find on the Internet. You need to find something that works for you. Uh, And and that's uh, that's where that practice comes in just see what works see what doesn't um experiment a little bit and so that's all you got to do but um blake now i would like to transition as part of the interview to where i like to ask some fun questions uh first one i have for you is uh what's your favorite memory in your professional tenure
1: oh man there's uh there are so there's so many of them but i you know being being a runner and being a, a cross country and track guy the opportunities i've had to work uh some of the really large uh, championship meets that have come to Oregon over the past uh, number of years. So I got to work the 2008 U S Olympic uh, track and field trials down at Hayward field, got to work the 2014 uh, world junior championships, which were also held at Hayward. And then when the world indoor championships were here in Portland, the Oregon convention center got to work, work that. And those were just uh, you know tremendous lifetime experiences um, right along with those, uh, being able to work three NCAA uh, Division One men's basketball uh, tournaments in varying capacities, uh, be able to have a front row seat to March Madness is uh, an absolute thrill. Um, as far as something related more to you know, my SID work, it, it, it was probably seeing our Pacific football program uh, go from uh, an 0-10 team its uh, first year in 2010, win one game in 2011, uh, and then uh, fast forward to 2014, uh, just five years after uh, starting the program, tying for the Northwest Conference Championship um, to see how hard those guys worked, to see uh, how everything fell together to to create this special season, and to be able to to sit there and say, yeah, I got to publicize something very special in Pacific's history was a very gratifying moment
0: What well, about on the other side of the coin what's your biggest horror story
1: uh, biggest horror story um, you know those day I, I think I've heard it echoed by a number of people it's those days when the uh, stat computer breaks and freezes or something happens and uh, you're scrambling you know especially for someone like me where, when I was at Pacific, I was the PA announcer, so I couldn't necessarily drop everything, go and get the SAT computer going again. And we had a couple instances where where those those happened, and thankfully they weren't catastrophic. Um, the great thing is, is if you have the systems in place with backup and somebody writing things down and you've got video, it can never be ca- catastrophic. Uh, I remember one uh, non-conference uh, basketball game where um, – you know it was a perfect storm of we had a computer issue we had a, a caller who uh, was their first or second game uh froze and missed things and I ended up having to stay really late that night and restat the game from video and uh our our men's basketball coach at the time he was still there at midnight and he saw me doing that. He actually sat down with me and uh and helped me restat the game uh, it was a chance for him to you know, kind of watch his team and see what happened as well. So, uh, we killed two birds with one stone. It was a great, um, a great, uh, moment with, uh, a great bonding moment. And then I actually had a football game in, uh, that 2014 year we were playing, uh, we were playing Lewis and Clark and, uh, we were, we were up by quite a bit. And, uh, so we had, you know, you know, everyone was getting in the six string water boy was getting into the game and, um, and we, our inputters hit one number in the fourth quarter to put them in and whatever the keystroke combination was shut down the entire computer Wow and as a and yeah you know, again could have been an absolute disaster but because we had the systems in place with somebody doing a written backup and we could figure out where um, you know what happened and how we could get around it uh, within an hour after the game being done my student crew was able to have the entire game rebuilt and we were able to get it to the, to the other SIDs. So, so I guess thankfully my biggest, um, the things I consider my, you know, my, you know, my biggest, uh, oh crap moments were, you know, ended up being all right, uh, just because we had well-trained people.
0: Awesome. Uh, what's one piece of advice you give to a student going to this profession?
1: Look for any and every opportunity to, uh, to learn. Um, if you got, if you have a chance to be a work study student working in sports information, whether it's writing, uh, doing stats, helping on a game day, do it. You know, get that experience uh, because when you're coming right out of college, even even in an entry level position in sports information, they're looking for experience. Uh, learn to write well. Uh, even with all the uh, technology over the years that's built into this profession, the basis for a good sports information director is still being an excellent writer. So being able, being someone who can put together a good story, put together a game, good, great recap, a good feature that understands AP style, that's going to get you further as a skill than just about any other thing that you will uh, you will learn in college. So those two things and then ask questions don't be afraid to ask somebody you know why do you do something this way what you know how do you do this what what can i do don't be afraid to ask questions i'm really a there are no stupid questions type of person um if if you're wondering about it ask Uh, get as much knowledge as you can
0: cool so uh what's one thing you're interested in to learn more about in this profession
1: i'd really love to Learn more about doing video. Um, I we do some great video work in the GNAC, but we all we do it all on iMovie, and it's pretty basic. Um, so I'm I'm trying to teach myself Adobe Premiere, trying to start doing some new things and learning some new skills to see if we can uh, raise our video game. But it's it's all it's all a learning curve. So you know, I so you know we're trying. So I've got to sit down and take, just take some time to learn how to do things. Uh, I, I, there's a couple of our SIDs in our conference who are good with uh, Premier. And so I asked them for some tips and some ideas on how they would do different things and see if I can implement it into what uh, I'm trying to do. And I, I'm always trying to find things to where I can be a better leader. So um, I think I'm a decent leader. I know I'm not perfect. Nobody is. Um, so... You know, I, I, I read things I see online. Uh, I'm going, through, uh, I'm getting some inspiration from uh, Kevin DeChazzo's book, uh, uh, Leadership Interrupted. Right now, uh, you know, just trying to look into myself and see, hey, how can I how can I be a better leader, not only for uh, the SIDs in our conference, but you know, for my family and for, and you know, in camaraderie with uh, the others here in the conference office.
0: What uh, traits or char- characteristics make a good SID?
1: Attention to detail, um, a uh, being a lifelong learner, because things are always changing. In this profession, uh, being someone who can roll with the punches, because you never know when, uh, you never know when a situation is going to break out where you've got to be in crisis communications, or you have that sat computer uh, freak out on you, and you've got to figure out on the spur of the moment, okay, how are we going to handle this? so you really have to be flexible, you have to be willing to roll with the punches, which, which is hard for a type A personality like, like I am, mm-hmm. but you, you learn it, you uh, figure it out, and um, yeah.
0: Yeah, cool. So uh, besides running, what's your uh, other work-life balance that you have? Uh,
1: family, doing a lot of family activities, my girls are now 13 and 10, they're very involved in theater, uh, they're involved in uh, music in their schools so we do a lot of concerts getting kids uh, back and forth um, you know, I, I, I follow baseball love major league baseball so I follow that as much as I can I love reading baseball history um, reading a book right now on the uh, old American Association of the 1880s mm. and uh, the other fun one that both my wife and I do together is we brew beer
0: hey that's cool what cat what, what do you brew
1: well, right now we've got a honey orange wheat uh, that is uh, uh, bottled, and we got to give it another week before uh, we can uh, we can drink it. So a lot of wheat beers. Um, we've done a couple of uh, lighter IPAs. Uh, obviously, that's uh, kind of the IPAs and wheats are the uh, preferred uh, uh, brews of choice out here in Brevana. Uh-huh. So you know, it, it's it's fun to be able to to do something where you create. You know, you're following a recipe. You get to create your own mm-hmm. your own uh, beer, your own creation, and uh, and, and and then uh, reap the fruits of the labor afterwards.
0: Does that stink at all? Because you have to let it sit there for a while, don't you?
1: It doesn't stink because when it we do our we do the actual boil outside,
0: oh, so we okay. do it on our
1: barbecue burner. Uh, so so we know we're not you know. Both my wife and I enjoy the smell of hops, but I don't think we want it lingering in the house for weeks. Right. So we do it outside. And then when you're in the fermentation process, you actually have it uh, in a, You have the uh, brew in an airtight container, so you don't get a, the smell out there until you uh, crack open the lid a couple of weeks later and uh, either bottle or keg the beer. And um, by that time, it, it, it's, it's smelling pretty good
0: okay well somebody lied to me they said that it stinks maybe they might not be doing it right but um, <laughs> uh, if anybody had any questions for you maybe want to follow up with you what would be the best way to get in touch
1: um you can get a hold of me by by email um, happy to do that i'm on i'm on twitter at timber t-i-m-m-b-r uh and yeah i love conversing with other sids and uh talking about the profession and about um you know, all, everything that it, it entails
0: Perfect. Well, Blake, thank you very much for coming on. I really do appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me, David.
0: Well, guys, there you have it on. Thank you all for tuning in this week. Next week we'll have Rob Knox from Townsend University over in Townsend, Maryland. And uh, you might hear heard his name before. Either one, because of uh, hashtag selfies with Rob, or either two, because he's co-signed president uh, and, and his rotation. We'll talk about all of that. We'll talk about stat crew, um, the positions with that. We'll talk about his path, uh, several advices that he, that he has for young professionals, uh, for older professionals, and just everyone of the like in this industry. So do not, do not, do not miss out on that episode that is coming next week. Um, let us know. Let us know over on social media how you felt about this episode. Uh, maybe some things that Blake and I both talked about. Uh, you can do that over on Twitter and Facebook at Sports Infocast over there. Rating and reviewing over on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, all the like. Uh, you can leave a rating or review. And be sure to sign up for our newsletter, sidcast.fireside.fm. So guys, uh, I know this was a little bit of a longer one, so I'm going to let it go here. I want to thank you all for listening to episode number 89 of SIDcast. We hope to catch you all next week for episode 90 with Rob Knox.